0: that's what this movie does it 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 sets up how these characters are so likable except for the pedophile Uh, you can um, admit
1: it you just love jared leto
0: i (laughs) what no fuck that guy three billboards outside evie missouri
2: okay when did you know that you were a racist
0: so i was five years old (laughs) and i saw a black man in the park
1: Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode, we discuss our top six favorite films of 2017. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show, and you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Dieekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 142 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with
0: Guess who's back? Back Mike. again. Cheney's back. Tell a friend. Yeah, you thought I was gonna save someone else. It's me, Nick Cheney. I've always been here. I
1: thought we were gonna have a black reference in there because No,
0: I'm a white rapper.
2: That's great.
1: Uh if you if you...
2: Who's that black voice you hear? Oh, it's me. <laughs>
1: Back again. <laughs> Shut the fuck up.
2: Hi. It's Tucson Egan. <laughs>
1: thank, thank you for your full name. Tupac
2: yeah. Egan? Yes. Yes. That's right, it. I'm done. Yeah. Um, no
1: more racially charged jokes. Thanks. Until our next episode. <laughs> until
2: our next until our until next episode. Until I put episode. down my beer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So today we are going back to 2017, which this has been something we've done now. (laughs) This will be the third straight year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the third straight year we've done this in February because it's really hard when a lot of the Oscar Beatty-ish films or even just... Films that are supposed to come out in December don't come out until January, late January. I was going to say, we
0: are not critics, so we do not get to see these movies Mm -hmm. when they screen. Because even some of the movies that we're going to talk about today, uh, even though they came out in quote-unquote January, most people saw them already in either festivals or their critic uh, press screenings and whatnot. But Mm -hmm.
1: we are the general public. So we have to go see films that came out on Christmas Day, actually on their actual release day, which is January 19th. Yeah. <laughs> so, at any rate, um, we haven't done a top six episode since our oh, top yeah. six of 2016. Oh, we didn't do think, a single one. Huh? I don't think so. Oh, but I think so, you're right. So, I think we should come back and do one sometime, maybe later in the spring or in the summer. We should all do right. our top six, top six episodes. <laughs> We're actually getting close. <laughs> oh, shit. We yeah. almost have all six. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, um... As usual, with our top six episodes, if, you, if you've if you never caught one before, um, I actually will start uh, with my number six film of the year. And I actually... Nick may think he knows my list, but I actually changed up my list oh boy. Uh, oh. a little bit, okay, Daredevil. very minorly, yeah. uh, over the last uh, week or so. All right. So number six on my list is the Edgar Wright film Baby Driver. Oh. Or... Oh, I forgot about that film. Oh, that's too bad. Damn. I didn't forget about it, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> tell um, us about it. So we reviewed this film earlier this year, mm-hmm. uh, earlier in 2017, and... Um, I was the biggest fan of The Three of Us of this film, which is interesting because I'm probably, I'm a fan of Edgar Wright's pretty much all of his films, but I was the lowest on the anticipatory poll for this, but I liked it the most. Well,
2: this is a very different Edgar Wright film yeah. from like most of like what we've experienced from him before.
0: I mean, a lot of the stuff all of us love about him, mm-hmm. but just in a different
1: package. Sure. Right. Um, so when we saw this in the theater and did the episode, I was the highest on it. Uh, but the my love for this film really came on the second viewing. Um, and it was at my home, in my living room, uh, watching for the first time with my wife, Emily. She absolutely loved the film as well. Um, and I feel like seeing it a second time and just sitting down and getting to soak in everything uh, that is the soundtrack, that is the action sequences, which are... Pretty much just fantastic. Um, incredible editing throughout the entire film for me. I know some people didn't love every part of the editing, but I thought it was fantastic. Um, and I actually thought the acting performances in this were, were really good, especially from Ansel uh, Eckhart. Um, uh, what's his name? Kevin Spacey? Yeah, well, I wasn't going to say him. but Well, yeah. you know,
0: this might be the film of <laughs> 2017 as you have Kevin Spacey crawling, calling a young man baby.
2: Oh boy,
1: (laughs) it'll be weird too it's like
0: taking candy from a baby
1: when the criterion of this comes out with Christopher Plummer playing that role so Mm. that'd be cute i love that (laughs) that'd be something (laughs) at any rate um, there are multiple scenes in this that were in contention for my favorite scene of the year uh, specifically the opening chase scene and the scene uh, where they are leaving the bank after uh, baby has for the most part killed Jamie Foxx's character um, the music, the action behind it, the editing, everything about it was so fast paced. Bell and I... bottoms. Okay. Um <laughs> and I, I was just a huge fan, uh, top to bottom. And every time I think about this film, I like it more and want to rewatch it again, which Nick has said time and time again, and I've started to prescribe to his religion on this, um, that. If you wanna watch thank you very much, sir for that. <laughs> if you wanna if you wanna if you think about a film a lot when you're when after you've watched it or when you haven't watched it, that's usually a sign that that you really like it. So uh number six for me was Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. All right, so, uh let's let's hear Toussaint's
2: number six. Okay. My number six is uh Star Wars The Last Jedi. Hey, right I I enjoyed this film, and it's not because – I'm not trying to say that I, I, I enjoyed the least of all the films that I watched this year because I put it at number six. It's just because Star Wars, in this case, like it did a lot of things that surprised me, but nonetheless, it's still a Star Wars film. Um, it's sort of like obligatory like there. I enjoyed a lot of the, the portrayals, a lot of the characters there. I liked all the, the set pieces. I liked a lot of the action scenes in this, some of them may have actually made it to being like some of my favorite action scenes. <laughs> of the we'll see. Spoiler. Um, hey, but, you said we'll see. We don't know. Yeah, we'll see. But I
1: yes, he hasn't decided yet. So. I did. I did enjoy
2: this film. I I, I think that I'm looking forward to what Ryan Johnson brings to a potential like new trilogy. And as 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 reluctant as now, I, which
0: really quick, which cut did you watch? Did you watch <laughs> the one that came out in theaters, or? in my opinion the far superior one that was making the rounds on uh a reddit thread i didn't look at the acronym i think it said something like mra but i assume it just stood for something like uh movies rock yeah i uh
2: i watched the the version uh that doesn't make me into a horrible human being um i watched i watched the theater version yeah <laughs> well, we should see um as as reluctant as i am to the idea of a star wars film coming out once a year if not twice a year every year for the rest of my life um that's a very real reality now um i i did enjoy this film and i hope that in in the the long average of all those films coming out in the future there will be more in this vein, that can still surprise me and do something. No, know new not with this. after
1: what the internet had to say about this. <laughs> oh, no, fuck
0: them! I gotta say, I feel like there's no bigger film tank uh, stamp of approval of a Star Wars film being that all three of us liked it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, to varying degrees, obviously, right. but somehow it like worked for a complete non star wars fan? Yeah. Uh, a moderate, star moderate
1: wars. and a uh, lifelong, you know, Star Wars hardcore fan. So, yeah. uh that's a pretty big feat. It is. Um and there's a lot about The Last Jedi that is just fantastically done and yeah. um we'll see maybe it'll be on my list. Somewhere. It, oh. it
2: didn't it didn't play to my expectations and I yeah. enjoyed it for that. So,
3: yeah, good Next stuff. Yeah.
0: Right on. Okay. Well, uh, my number six is a movie called Logan Lucky. Uh, Did you think I was going to say Logan? I actually thought you were going to say Logan Logan. Lucky. Uh. Man, that's just the kind of curveballs we're going to be throwing your way here on this episode. Uh, No, my number six is Logan Lucky by Steven uh, Seelberg. Steven Seelberg. What the fuck? Senor Spilbargo over there. Steven (laughs) Soderberg. There we go. By the way, really quickly, we you... had half a beer.
1: Yeah, you want to see that new film from him, right? That's coming out.
0: Ready Player One. What are you talking? Oh, you're Steven talking about Soderbergh. actual Steven, Steven... Soderbergh. <laughs> Steven... Yes, Soderbergh. Of course, I would do. On the same, yeah, fuck yeah. Looks, I'm like way. Looks, oh yeah,
3: that
1: looks pretty good.
0: Yeah, yep. I'm. I'm ready. Yep. His retirement has been one. Has <laughs> Has been one of the most fruitful uh, periods of career uh, creativity. I gotta say. Um Yeah, Logan Lucky, my number six. Uh, There is really not a whole lot to say. This is not a deep movie on any level, and yet I think it might be the one on my list that I would call close to perfect as you can be because nothing for me is out of step in this movie. All the performances I think are fantastic. Even give or take a Hillary Swank, I can understand why some people obviously can't stand her in this movie, but um, considering she's quite quarantined to... Uh, her one specific uh, passage, so to speak, Uh, it it works for me, at least. Uh, But everything in this movie, from the comedy to even the, I would say, not subtle, but low-key drama, uh, just works like gangbusters. Um, This was basically my favorite cinematic uh, anticipation, actually, Uh, meeting my expectations Mm. because I saw a trailer of Steven Soderbergh making a hillbilly uh, Ocean's Eleven and not only did we get that in premise, but we got that in Soderbergh uh, execution. Like, there was nothing uh, I could have wanted more from this.
1: There was even a kind of in-meta Yeah. Jab at the yeah. Ocean series. When well, they call them the Ocean 711.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um I I absolutely loved it. There's it probably has my favorite joke uh in any movie this year uh with the uh conflict between the inmates and the warden oh, over so George good. George so R. R R Martin's uh Song of Ice and Fire series which is just yeah, it it's one of those things where you, Even when you're watching it, you're like, this is is so random, and yet it's so finely tuned and hilariously uh, escalates, and it's only like a you know, one minute scene, but Mm -hmm. goddamn every, even Dwight Yoakam, uh, say the played by Dwight Yoakam, nails his line. So I gotta say, Logan Lucky is just one of those films that I can't imagine someone would really dislike. Like I totally understand why I'm assuming I'm the only one who's putting it in their top six, Mm -hmm. but it is just so fun and, uh, just so entertaining with filled with characters that I think are very pleasant to watch. Like, we're kind of in the era of like anti-heroes and whatnot, so Logan Lucky is kind of a breath of fresh air of just good-hearted people just trying to make a make their way in this world. So right.
1: I loved Logan Lucky. Good stuff. So on to number five, uh, my number five film could easily have been higher on my list, but um, we had some good films this year. 2017 was a, was a pretty solid year at the cinema. I so. agree. Uh, but number five on my list is Wind River, Uh, Yeah, the first, uh, or the directorial debut, I should say, for Taylor Sheridan, um, who wrote Sicario in Hell or High Water. Uh, He wrote and directed this film that stars Jeremy Renner and also Elizabeth Olsen, and this is just an absolutely fantastic film. Um, If you want to be entertained and also um, have some drama uh, in the same film uh, and have it... Written really well, I feel like too in, in a film that doesn't feel like it should have been, uh, but it absolutely <laughs> was. Uh, this is this is absolutely a, a film that I really think anybody would enjoy watching for the most part, um, and also too, this is a pretty eye-opening film for um, the the American Indian and and their group who is just still not really even a thing just pretty much disregarded they like the redskins name they're fine with it yeah. Yeah. yeah and the very ending of this film just reaffirms that even more uh and it's 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 just a very well put together film that has one of the best uh last Thirty minutes, I can recall in, in recent film memory. Yeah, and and that's nothing against the rest of the film because I think no, no, as no. a whole it's great. But the once... last
0: thirty minutes doesn't work if everything that came before was you know miscalibrated. Yeah,
1: but once we go back in time into the trailer, in the scene that involves a really strong cameo by somebody who I didn't even know was in the film. I don't think you did either when yeah. we first saw it. Um, and then we go from there into a very amazing action sequence. Uh, And then a very satisfying finale with Jeremy Renner and uh, and an antagonist in the film. Uh, Just everything put together here was just fantastic. So I was a huge fan of Wind River, and it's my number five.
0: I just got to say really quick, because I saw it as well, and then I rewatched it as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a fantastic movie. Like, it's unfortunate fortunately nowhere near, like, my top ten, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but um, it is one of the best examples of someone making a modern-day Western without hewing too close to parallelism. Like, you know, it's not about a sheriff in a modern-day city, nor is it about a, a... like bank robber you know like it, it doesn't take the typical tropes of what I would consider neo westerns to do but everything about this is uh, embedded in a frontier way of life um and yet everything about it is also flipped on its head from the wintry setting instead of the you know normal uh, desert sun we would assume from this kind of genre to the uh, spotlight on Native Americans instead of the opposite, uh, you know, way around. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's fantastic, and I think it's doing a lot of smart things that not a lot of people gave it credit for.
1: And uh, as well, too, you, you mentioned the, the frontier aspect. Uh, we have one of the best uses of frontier justice at the end of this film that I can recall yeah. uh, recently, not just in Westerns, but just in general, as it's it's very satisfying end of the film for sure um, for people who didn't like the antagonist character. <laughs> so moving on to Toussaint.
2: Okay, my number five is "It Comes at Night." Ah. What does it comes at night? Um, I really that's mean, pretty much what the film says. Yeah, that's pretty really much what the film says. Like it doesn't tell you what it is, but it it's there. It's there and at nighttime, it, and it comes at night, and it's awful it's just absolutely awful i i nominate this film on the strength of blocking of cinematography of basically color correction alone just because a lot of these scenes that i i remember watching it from the first time were just so rich that they still like stay embedded in my mind and just watching this sort of family unit of like two families like eventually um Gelling to one another and, and, and sort of like eking out a, a sort of unsteady uh, familiarity and a kindness towards one another before seeing it eventually just rip itself apart um, was very harrowing and very horrifying. And I enjoyed it for that. I like A24 as a production company. I think that they know how to
0: – I think they know when to pick them. I just love A24 because it's like a film blog became sentient. yeah. And decided to invest money <laughs> and become an actual distributor. Yeah. And so it, it's just so gratifying.
2: And they happen to just like have some of the, the the most like defining auteur directors that are working in the game right now. Yeah. And I don't know how the fuck they made those connections, but, but I'm so happy they did. Yeah. Um. But yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, I'll say that it comes a night is one of my honorable mentions, just outside of my top six. Mm. I, I absolutely love it. Basically. The four movies that are not in my top six, this being one of them, I don't understand how they're not in my top six. Like, that's how much I loved this year Mm -hmm. in cinema. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. And Joel Egerton for me, is one of the best performances in a movie this year as the dad who's trying to keep his
2: family together, Mm -hmm. but
0: also keep his semblance of community, if that even
2: exists anymore.
0: His
1: sense of patriarchal um, authority. intact as well too. So So this also is my top honorable mention. Um, It was in my top six it actually got dethroned by Baby Driver uh, as I just enjoy that film just a little bit more but uh, It Comes Tonight is an absolutely fantastic feature that um, I really enjoyed and also um, is doing a lot of things well because of the sum of its parts like i feel like this film is great because of all the people who worked on it like you have fantastic cinematography fantastic acting a wonderful score um and just the way that the camera moves throughout and the way that the sun looks and the night looks and the
2: the lushness of the of the the sort of like Green forest around them. The uh...
1: the use of reflective surfaces throughout this. The look of the fire. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. there's just so much here that works so well. And then you have the story, which works fantastically because mm-hmm. it is you are always expecting this this ghost or something to show up, and, and yet it, it never does. And that's yeah. Can it's I say great film.
0: one thing in its favor that'll
1: sound like an insult, but like isn't mm-hmm. is
0: that? It Comes at Night is not going to be in any one of my categories that we're going to do in the category episode, mm-hmm. which would sound like a bad thing, but the reason for that is because every time I think of the movie, I, not a single element stands above all the other. Like I genuinely think the acting is on the same par as the cinematography, right. and so on and so forth. It's just one of the most finely crafted movies.
2: The, the scene where the kid wakes up, after having the, the, the door being open and being questioned yeah. and just the kid, like, looking back and forth and just, like, saying, I don't know, was just one of the most heart-sinking moments because you you have to believe him right. at that time. And I'm just like, but what does that mean then? And it's like, it's... It, it's very, very harrowing. Yep. It's very terrifying. The yeah.
1: very final shot of this film is also just fabulous. Yeah, it is. Because, boy, <laughs> what happens after they're done eating? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, God. Dinner for two. Oh, man. <laughs> May just be one for the next meal. I yeah. See. It's just so awful. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's not great. Yeah. So my number five is a little movie called War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, oh. This is my favorite blockbuster in so many years. I have not seen a franchise as versatile and as rich as this new Planet of the Apes trilogy, which every film, in my opinion, was better than the last. And I like all three, or if not love all three. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like each successive film... Build so wonderfully on what came before, and it all culminates, uh, I think, in one of the most stunning blockbusters I've seen in forever with War. Um, Taking uh, the opening uh, title card aside, where he (laughs) randomly splices the word rise and dawn into a random sentence, uh, recapping the movie, everything after that is just wonderful.
1: I
2: think that this belongs in my honorable mentions. Simply for the Did you
1: finally see it? I
2: didn't. Okay. I like this. I, I, Wait. No. What? No. 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 But here, I don't here's, think
1: it'd be an honorable mention. I think, okay. I man, feel sorry. like it does belong in my
2: honorable mentions at this <laughs> point because it was one of my most highly anticipated films of this year. That first, you loved Dawn. I fucking love Dawn, and yeah. I'm so happy to hear that you enjoyed War so much that I want to hear more about you talking about it so that I can finally fucking go watch it. Yeah.
0: I think it's fantastic. I think uh, obviously. I, My only disappointment of war when it comes to how people reacted to it is that Andy Serkis became the conversation piece when talking about this movie, Mm -hmm. and obviously for good reason because he does fantastic work, but this movie, and I think the trilogy as a whole, is so much larger than... Andy circus motion capture performance oh, yeah this the themes that get brought up in war uh and the way these characters explore them, I just think is incredibly profound. I mean, you have a movie that, in my opinion at least effortlessly mixes a the great escape esque war uh, p o w movie with a yes touch of apocalypse now, which the movie even knows, and that's why it graffiti's apocalypse now uh you know in in its tunnels and um and somehow still manages to wrap up Caesar's storyline through Mythos because Caesar knows that he's only one ape amongst his also, actual community. Not yeah.
1: just not just wrap up. There was a very satisfying end to his story uh, yeah. with this film, and really, almost creating him. And I'm, I'm overselling it because he's not as as big of a character in pop culture. Mm-hmm. But he almost has, you know, he's flirting in the ballpark of the way you actually progress a character through your trilogy, almost like Darth Vader was, where he is obviously the main character here. Um, And each film builds upon that, and then we have a very satisfying finale in the final film. Would it be
2: fair that this film, obviously I haven't seen it, so I'm just going to ask this question, is like, would it be fair that this film for War the Planet of the Apes, it sort of cements... Um, Caesar's like gradual arc, his ascent into becoming this sort of messianic, almost mythic figure among apes. Actually, absolutely, yeah. The, okay, the yeah.
0: whole like final hour is. Not him trying to do that.
2: But becoming. But but inevitably, yes, cementing
0: that, so to speak. I mean, if you look at the trilogy as a whole, the first movie is the humans are the protagonists. The second movie is the humans and the apes Mm. are dual uh, storylines. And this movie, finally, the apes are the protagonists uh, as far as there are humans in it, but they are not as important
1: as There are also so many fascinating elements to this film. Yeah. Um Woody Harrelson plays a great character in this I film. I think uh in the main action that his character does when you first get introduced with him uh makes it very clear what kind of person he is. Yeah. Um at the same time though, I mean that the idea that there are apes that have pretty much been like brainwashed to work with the humans is one of the most Yeah interesting aspects of this film. And, and... those are what
0: they refer to as the donkey apes. Mm-hmm. Which like then you're getting into like the Apocalypse Now reference kinda indicates, you're getting into Vietnam allegories and the way that the apes fractioned off as to being followers of Caesar to being a small fraction of people, or people, apes, but you kind of think of them as people uh, who are quote unquote uh, posthumously uh, inspired by. Um, I'm forgetting the other the code, Coda. I forget his Coba. Name. Coba. Um, I was
1: going to really quick mention that when you were done. Go ahead.
0: Oh yeah, um, inspired by Coba, and then even a few select few who are like trying not to, basically just. I would say, uh, yeah, trying to appease the humans because they don't believe in apes' ability to, and the way that that conflict somehow is able to live and breathe while humans are still in this story at all—it's just—it just, just kind of mind, blew my mind that this story and this narrative worked as well as it did with a major motion picture
1: budget. Yeah, um, when Koba's character comes back into this film because he has a very minor role in here. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting about how he was Caesar's main rival uh, through Dawn of Planet of the Apes, uh, and yet here we have this idea of Caesar failing him, uh, and that was the, the, one of the biggest parts of that is that he feels like he failed him, and I, I love I love well I love yeah. the, the idea of of Caesar. Always in every single film, and it's probably his biggest downfall as being a leader. Always having the thoughts of him actually being feeling like he's half human. Mm -hmm. Always being there, and it goes even though it like lessens through each film. um, It's still very much there in this film, and um, it's it causes a lot of turmoil with a, a. Character that actually should be pretty simple, but is actually yeah. very much the in- uh, not. Him. The
2: inherent struggle between him being a leader of, of an <laughs> entire society of apes while also having his origins rooted in having a, a, a family and a schooling among humans. It's yeah.
0: what makes him, I would say, like, the perfect flawed leader. Like, you're not going to get an actual perfect leader, mm-hmm. but you're going to get the one you deserve. So I'll wrap it up and just say that one other thing is that this is maybe one of the best uh, cinematography I've seen in a blockbuster. Uh, the scenes uh, of the raid on their oh, the night vision scene? <laughs> yeah, with the green lathers, the waterfall. Mm-hmm. And that raid is one of the most, like, I, I, and this is a stupid phrase, but I'm going to say it, uh, one of the most, like, hauntingly beautiful uh, images I've seen in a in a action blockbuster.
1: And uh, one thing I'll mention, make it seem like I, this would be higher on my list. Hey. Yeah, there you go. Um, something I will think of, too, I, I love the parallel between Rise of Planet of the Apes and this film as uh, the main mission of james franco's character is to basically save his father john lithgow and then you have the idea of all the humans pretty much losing their abilities to be human uh, being a main storyline in this film sorry for a spoiler but you find that out pretty early on yeah um it, it's it's just fascinating also
0: just because you just <laughs> mentioned it the there's another parallel that you just kind of mentioned if Rise is about a son trying to take care of his dying ish father. Mm-hmm. Uh, is kind of interesting that one of the most important things in war is a father not being able to take care of a father ape not being able to take care of his son, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, right. sins of the father and so on and so right. forth. Yeah. So, it's a very good film. It's rich.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to number four, uh, a film that I know I liked by far the most out of the three of us um in a film that definitely had some divisive thoughts uh throughout the year uh and that was Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, we had a very interesting episode on <laughs> oh, this. Taylor's as oldest as time. Oh, absolutely. Um so I don't have that much to say about it because I, you know, tried to defend myself for the most part on our episode. Defend yourself. Yeah. I know that Nick actually didn't hate this, so... I didn't.
0: My passion on that episode just comes from how much I love the original. Which is totally understandable. That's really the only thing.
1: Um, So I just loved the way that this story was told. I felt like it was, for me, equal to the original. Not necessarily because it's as good of a tight story, but because I love... The idea that I have and everyone else who went to see this film, for the most part probably, has seen the animated film that most people absolutely adore, myself included. Um, And here we have this story that is just building upon it um, in a time where I feel like even like three to four to five years ago, this live action version would not have been as good as it was now. Um, It just, everything about it just worked for me. Um, I absolutely loved Luke Evans as Gaston. He was one of the better um, villains I feel like I've seen in a Disney film in a long time. And that's taking away from a, you know, he's taking the baton from a classic villain. Um, And just so many elements to this film just worked for me. Um, And I, I liked it so much because it was just slightly different than the original Beauty and the Beast. Every little element to it just felt like enough different that I, I just fell in love with this film and thought it was great. Um, really good performance by Emma Watson, who's who's been not so great at picking roles yeah. since Harry Potter. Um, and I already mentioned uh, Luke Evans, but this film is riddled with people who give really solid performances, uh, especially um, Kevin Kline, I thought, was great as Maurice. Um, and An actual understandable use of Josh Gatt. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like. When he was cast, I was like, oh, there's no one else who could be. Yeah, like that was kind <laughs> of creepy. Yeah. Um, and also, too, he sounds a little like Olaf always, so it's really yeah. awkward. Yeah. But uh, not much more to say other than I thought this was a beautiful film. I thought it was a fun film. Um, and I think the reason why I like this so much is because this film just made me happy when I was in the theater and I enjoyed my time watching it. Which is a good thing to have in 2018, 2017. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Beauty and the Beast, number four on my list.
2: Okay, so my number four is... Bum, bum. Blade Runner 2049.
0: <laughs> I thought that was like the Law and Order theme or something.
2: It's like, bum. Yeah. Um. I... <clears throat> when I first saw Blade Runner 2049, it kind of left me cold. And I think that is built in it's sort of built in I was like I, I I didn't know how to like read that whether it was sort of like I I, the, I was off the wavelength of this film or rather it just like hit the point and I just wasn't really like I wasn't really sure how I how I felt about it for that just because I feel like um, when I associate the original Blade Runner with having all of this detritus and all this detail and all this scribbling in in all these different surfaces versus with Blade Runner 2049, it feels a lot more sleek. It feels a lot more sterile, which is weird for the fact that it occurs in a time after um, considerable ecological disaster yeah. and havoc and all that other shit. It's like you'd think it'd be just more fucked up, not cleaner and yeah. shit like that. But I, I have to I, – I, I still respect this film as a sort of um, thematic – and not just a uh, plot-wise narrative continuation of the original Blade Runner. I feel like it does stand on its own. I think that it does have enough to offer in in terms of like new visuals, new characters, new storylines. You can um, admit it. You just love Jared Leto. I... <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Um, I... I really enjoyed a lot of the set piece. I my favorite shot, one of my favorite shots of this entire, of, of this entire past year was Kay's spinner flying in between the skyscrapers of Wallace Industries. That was just like, holy shit! This this is amazing. Like this the, the, this 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 feeling of scale and, and 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 of ominousness. Like I fucking live for that shit.
0: And that kind of shot, I think, is actually a. I would say an argument for why it's okay to do sequels you know, it's not that you need to do them or anything right. like that. But there is something to be said of like technological advancement and mm-hmm. filmmaking where you can truly a capture the spirit of something while also giving its fans uh something even more defined when it comes to right. uh the I don't know, but yeah, anyway.
2: There's a lot to criticize about this film. I'm not going to try to, like, sweep that under the tables. I, I, there's a lot to unpack about it, both good and bad. Um, I just liked it on a, on a visual level, just that alone. I, I, I fucking live for that shit.
0: I got to say that I gave it a very right-down-the-middle right. rating, and yet it's also the 2017 film that I most want to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's two hours and forty minutes, I haven't
2: done that yet. <laughs> yeah, I know that's that's, <laughs> that's one of those things you gotta talk right. about. I haven't done
0: that yet, but like I genuinely like it's rare that a movie gets a rating at that level that I'm like itching to revisit.
1: Yeah. So something I'll mention about Blade Runner, I'm going to purchase it on Blu-ray as soon as the price gets a little yeah. more realistic. <laughs> oh, um, boy, yeah. 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 Um, however, uh, this did have one of the best opening scenes, I can recall, from 2017. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love Dave Bautista's character, and I mean, I don't think there's much more you could have done with him, so I, the idea of him well, just... Well, be... looks like someone
0: didn't watch
1: the... Uh... What was it?
2: Oh, the 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 short films or whatever.
0: I will admit, I I, I give the Blu-ray credit for including all three of the. Good. Yeah. yeah. Like I watched the Watanabe one. Yeah. And it was actually yeah. pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, I love that opening scene. I thought it was great and and really highlighted um, Ryan Gosling's character of K. Um, and yeah, I just I thought it was a very good film. Loved the scene too in the uh, the Las Vegas showroom when you have all of the yeah. old Las Vegas classic characters. Oh my god, that was...
2: That was really unsettling how they were just like jerk and and off. Yeah. Like, like, there was no rhythm to it. <laughs> it was like, what yeah. the fuck is
0: going on? I made a joke about it in her episode, yeah. but I genuinely mean it as a good thing because yeah. of how well it came out, but that whole... Passage of Harrison Foreign and him meeting was like the greatest Fallout New Vegas adaptation yeah. we'll ever get on film. Yeah, and I kind of love it for that. Yeah, yeah, because it's so sort of inherently cinematic. Right,
1: yeah. and two, uh, right after that scene happens, too we get this amazing Ryan Gosling Hulk smash through a wall <laughs> for no reason, uh, and it's fantastic. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I'm glad you uh you had that on your list. Yes, I did. Yeah, good. Uh okay. My number four
0: is a little film by a director no one's ever heard of, and uh Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> uh Phantom Thread. I was highly anticipating this movie because I am a PTA diehard. And this definitely lived up to my expectations. And by that I mean it dismantled them the moment I sat down. Like he does not ever deliver anything that you can truly know what you're getting into before you watch his movies and i if if the element of surprise was the only thing he had to offer then that would be That he would not be a good filmmaker. But because he imbues every frame of this movie and I think his other movies with such a fine sense of craft, in which that is thematically embedded into this narrative, uh, as Woodcock himself is such a perfectionist in his uh, tapestries and whatnot, um, I thought this was a fantastic movie. I think it's genuinely one of the best love stories in a movie I've seen uh, in forever because I love how. This movie, on its on paper, has a quote-unquote unconventional relationship. But in reality, the kink, so to speak, mm-hmm. is so mundane. Mm-hmm. Like, compared to where it could have gone, so to speak. And because it's that mundane, at least in my opinion, <laughs> someone might can write me a fan letter and say, that's not mundane, that's fucked up. And I, I'd understand. Yeah. But um, all that does is, is expose how... This movie is just about relationships, period. It's about how two people, when they decide to be with each other... There's not a honeymoon phase like a lot of people think there is. Mm. Obviously, there there can be on the surface, right. but in reality, what you are doing once you have made that decision is learning how to cohabitate mm. in somebody else's space and what compromises you are willing to make or aren't. And this movie pretty much gets that like nail on the head. I mean, from butter scraping on toast to... um. Surprise dinners and whether that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, that's th- not
2: how I like my uh, my asparagus prepared. I'm just yeah. like, are you trying to murder me? Do you have a gun? I'm just like, yeah,
0: where's you- your gun? You
3: fucking
2: baby. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and from everything from there to. The people too. I mean, you know, the I know Leslie Manville got a lot of credit for her performance, and for a lot of good reason because she's fucking fantastic in this movie. But the more you think about Alma, the more you think how that's truly just a stand-in for what it's like when people have other people in their lives. Like, it's it's hard enough to try to live with another person. It is even harder to try to live with another person in the view of somebody else that's close to them and where you fit in, in that part of the story. So I just think that the funny thing about something like Phantom Thread is the more you look at it, the more normal it is. Like, this truly is just a relationship picture. And at the end of the day, we're treated to two amazing, well, three amazing performances, um, some excellent cinematography. I mean, I'll think about that New Year's Eve Mm-hmm. Uh, balloon drop for years to come. Yeah, uh, a fantastic score and just so many rich moments that um, I think I'll be able to unpack f- uh, for years on
1: end. So. They're taking the fucking dress, Barbara, <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. And that's
0: like uh, just really quick, but uh, I love that that is their first moment of shared intimacy. You know, like after they do that together, that they're, they're like sealing the deal with a kiss,
1: so to speak. And um, so yeah, because she's finally playing in his sandbox
0: agreed and yet she's allowed to push him to do something too like because he wasn't going to do that so mm-hmm. yeah this is just one of the best romance movies uh i've seen in a long time nice. so
1: yeah my number four is phantom thread good stuff all right number three on my list is guillermo del toro's the shape of water um, I <laughs> I was a huge fan of this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved it the first time, and I really liked it the second time. I really loved it the second time.
0: I just love that twenty seventeen is the year in which a Guillermo del Toro movie is in your top. 20. I know, right? Like, I just mean like that's how I think great of a year this was in mm-hmm. filmmaking, mm-hmm. but also that's just fun.
1: Yeah, I am always. A little hit or miss, lukewarm um, on Guillermo del Toro. I think he's a fantastic film director, uh, but his fare isn't always for me. Where I feel like this film was right up my alley, and also at the same time as I was talking about, with it comes at night. Um, every single element of this film I thought was pretty much just fantastic. Right. Uh, we have fabulous acting performances here from Sally Hawkins, Richard Jenkins uh also to Michael Shannon who's here who yeah he he's a great crazy motherfucker who delivers a very Michael Shannon performance yeah uh and then Doug Jones playing the amphibian man mm. and Octavia Spencer who gets lost in the shuffle a little bit but she gives another great performance and then all the way down to Michael Stolberg playing Hofsettler mm. um and in the idea of him being this secret agent for the Russians in this very weird time when there's the space race going on in the background and and they have this weird creature that they've uh, stolen away um there's just so much about this film that is fantastically done yeah uh it's a just beautiful movie oh, yeah. start to finish wonderful score from Alexander Desplat uh and just great action throughout start to finish whether it be a dramatic scene, some scenes that were played for comedic effect, and some great action sequences, too, um, all culminating in the, in the finale of this film, uh, which I actually thought was one of the great all-time monster reveals, kind of. Because you you see the Amphibian Man throughout this film, and we have great moments like him in the theater, which is just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about his penis coming out, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then you have just the water scenes with him early on where he's almost just completely unaware of what's happening. Uh, but he's learning, uh, he's learning how to speak sign language. Uh, but when he rises up and lights up blue and is in the rain and the way it comes off of his Body with oh man it 's just so great, and just Michael Shannon knows he's totally fucked in that moment it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. You, it, it's just it's just an absolutely wonderful film that i'm so glad I got to see a second time and cannot wait to watch it home
0: uh spoilers, mm-hmm. but i don't
1: care uh, Good. that's one of my favorite like death lines ever, which oh fuck you are god <laughs> yeah hey man that's and that's the the issue with Michael Shannon throughout the entire film is is the the idea of men having power over actually anything Mm. women creatures the world whatever Yep. Yeah. yeah um everything just wrapped up so nicely together and this isn't even necessarily the best written story ever but at the same time it just all works together so well and i just love the shape of water so well done guillermo del toro you have Made a film that I absolutely love, and um, I'm I'm rooting for him to win Best Director this year because I think he deserves it uh, as he deserves it for his career for the most part so far. Yeah, it's the success
2: of a film like The Shape of Water that makes you mourn the fact that he isn't given more latitude to have larger projects like the Universal, like Monster Universe. Like, this... This if, – if if nothing else that he's created, this is proof that he should have stewardship over something like that, and yet those idiots do not clue into that fact, and they don't deserve him. Let's say, go find the next and Snyder. This,
0: it's not like sure. trying to get somebody who wouldn't do something like that because Guillermo del Toro at his heart is just a big geek. Yeah, he's in, a in big a good fucking way. geek, and I like that. So like the, like the, the fact that he's such a no-brainer just makes it even more infuriating that right. more studios don't just – Try to get him, but he literally has projects taken away from him, you know, Mm -hmm. like whether it's the uh, Hellboy uh, third movie, which apparently they're allowed – like they can make another Hellboy movie and then he just can't make his third. Like it's just really so –
2: Right. Or they got the Pinocchio film. He's got – he has more canceled or in-progress like projects than he has actual like produced projects and it's pretty prolific and it's like – but.
1: I love the idea of him being this this almost like tortured soul too. Is is he's
0: more like Guillermo tortured? Psh,
1: he's one of the most wildly
2: disrespected directors Whoa. in Hollywood right now. I honestly think that.
0: How could he be? He's part of the Three Amigos. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! But I can't yeah, believe we as a culture let that branding happen. <laughs> what? You don't know that? What is they it? call? It's a thing where. They, who is it? Is Inarritu, uh, Guillermo del Toro, and um, Alfonso Cuarón? Oh, I believe is like they call them the Three
2: Amigos. Who the fuck came up with that? I don't know who, but it Theater stuck right?
0: to the sense that like people are branding them as such. Like that sounds like, that sounds like whatnot. a white guy came up with. Well, that. no offense, thing.
2: guys. That sounds like that sounds no, like a, a I, Harvey Weinstein guy like, came up who, with that. It's like hey, <laughs>
0: that's why I'm like. So you not only. You know, obviously, don't let many, if any, uh, Spanish directors direct movies on a national USA stage. But you're also going to just shed more light on the fact that we can whittle it down to a number. Right.
1: Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, this. He should be getting more. But at the same time, the idea that, um, like, he pitched the idea of the role that Sal Hawkins played to her at a Golden Globe event three years ago and he was drunk when he did it It is just fascinating (laughs) to me. Yeah. He seems like a genuinely fun guy. Definitely that and genuinely interesting person. Oh yeah. uh, And who genuinely has great ideas. Like I love a lot of the things that Steven Spielberg has done but I feel like he's stolen a lot of the things he's done in the last three he's decades, like the formalistic master,
0: like he's good because of how he does things, not because of necessarily the stories that you know yeah he's telling, yeah, but you still have to tell the stories no so. i I agree, but he steals from the best, so to speak, yeah. when it comes to which
1: stories, but del Toro's films always feel even the ones that I haven't cared for. They're always aesthetically beautiful. They are. They always feel authentic, even if they're not completely... I mean, he's not a director like Yorgos Lanthamos is. Yeah. But at the same time, he's making something that always feels authentic to me. Yeah, I'll say
0: he's one of the rare directors where it feels like every movie he works on is a passion project. Which is, like, normally that's, like, a rarity. Like, Mm -hmm. finally, quote-unquote, Martin Scorsese gets to make his passion project. And I say that as he's one of the all-time greats, Mm -hmm. but it seems like he just, you know, does what he does and moves on to the next film. Whereas, like... It feels like every project Del Toro comes up with, he wrote down on a napkin sometime 20 years ago, and he's always wanted to make it, and he finally was given the chance to make
1: it. And I love the idea that he decided to do this instead of the Pacific Rim sequel.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think he made the right choice. He (laughs) did, yeah. So Moving on to Jussat.
2: For number three? Yeah. Yeah. For my number three, I chose world of tomorrow episode two oh the burden of other people's thoughts
0: yeah if we had a category in the next episode of things i didn't get to see mm-hmm. that was probably gonna be at the top of my yeah. list
1: yeah don Hertzfeld is really really quickly just because i don't know the answer to this right how long was this uh this episode? same length it's same, same length yeah okay. equivalent Seven. to
2: that like 17 18 minutes
1: yeah <laughs> so continue pardon me
2: don Hertzfeld is a fucking genius uh he is he's proven that Many times before with his past uh, animated works, um, most specifically with the, the predecessor to this, uh, World of Tomorrow, which packs in more beauty and more science fiction profundity within the space of 17 minutes than most feature-length like sci-fi films have done in the past decade. It is beautiful, and I did not think that I could want a sequel to that i thought that it was it ended so perfectly and and so succinctly that i did not want to run the risk of diminishing returns from that yeah
1: really quickly can i share a story with you about the world of tomorrow because i've watched the first episode Mm -hmm. i've not seen the new uh, second part of it yeah so a story that i absolutely love about the world of tomorrow which i think is fantastic um i sat down decided to watch it don't have to give a lot of time to it. Mm-hmm. It's like watching an episode of television. Yeah. Uh, it's actually less. less. Yeah. yeah. Um so I sat down, watched it. What I love about World of Tomorrow is that my wife Emily was doing dishes in the background mm-hmm. and had no interest in watching this. And about six minutes in, she was sitting on the couch watching yes. the end of it. So yes. it. And boy, that's just to me, like the ultimate sign of here's this this thing that if you just one of your senses picks up what's going on, mm-hmm. you have to see. You have to see what's where it going on, right? Because if you just hear it, you're like, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah. But it's got so many things that can grab your attention in it yeah. too, and it's just um, 17 minutes of just pure enjoyment. It's so, incredible
2: yeah. how much ground it actually covers, and how much it doesn't. It doesn't waste its time at all, and the 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 sequel is the exact same way. It picks up right at if not like. A couple of seconds right after the ending of the first one, mm-hmm. and continues on from there, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. Like I, I I I I can't I I I I can't stress how perfect this is as a sequel, as a companion piece to the original World of Tomorrow. As someone
0: who's seen it, yeah, um, would you say since? So far for me, nothing has topped his Bill trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I say that like it's like picking your favorite child. It's not, right. not necessarily one's better than the other, but that's the one I like the most. Can you see after seeing the second how he could make a third and make another trilogy?
2: I mean he – what's interesting about the story of the making of the of World of Tomorrow Episode 2 is that he actually started making it – immediately after he finished World of Tomorrow 1. And so it was sort of like... And part of it is a
0: race because yeah. it's his actual niece yeah. who does Emily, mm-hmm. and he just records her like yeah. when they're hanging out. Like, it's not like he makes her go through some kind of like actual mm-hmm. recording session. He just, when he's visiting her, he's got the microphone and yeah. whatnot. So obviously there is kind of a race against the clock if he does want to do one more project. And
2: it's more torturous for the fact that she's speaking in more complete sentences and in, in yeah. different sorts of subjects and it's like there's not a lot of room to cut around in the yeah. same way um but it ultimately does really gel together like i would in in the same way that like i i can't imagine i could not imagine there being a sequel to world of tomorrow one i can't imagine there being a sequel to world of tomorrow two but yeah Don hertzfeld is a fucking genius. he could do whatever the fuck he wants, and if he comes over with another one, I mean
0: you'll be there day one
2: i will so I you. will be there day one to watch it um I don't know what he's gonna do next. I really don't know what he's gonna do next, but I just know that this film is just a perfect little little center in and of itself and i and I really enjoyed it yeah. and if you haven't seen either one of these like carve out 30 minutes of your time and just like watch it because it's, it's incredible.
0: Sure. My number three is a movie called the Florida project. Oh yeah. By Sean Baker. I absolutely love this. Uh, movie. I, I think Sean Baker is going to become, a. I think he already is, but the more he gets recognized the more he's going to become a force to be reckoned with. Um, I love Tangerine, his previous film, but I really thought that that might be a fluke because it was such a specific piece of filmmaking, you know, from him shooting on an iPhone to him uh, casting two uh, trans actors that had no prior acting experience that who were fantastic in his movie, but everything about it just felt like thrown together in a happy accident. So here you have something a little more professional when it
1: comes to production. But you have a film that... Centers around a fantastic performance from an unknown child, after, and I agree. So it's is,
0: like it's very yeah. Sean Baker esque as far as how much we know of him in his short film career so far. Mm-hmm. But um, he's certainly growing into himself as a director and whatnot. Um, and I love this even more than his previous film. I think this is uh, an amazing movie. I think. Part of what I usually look for in a movie, particularly dramas, is a sense of empathy for every character on screen. And that's what we definitely get here. We see a bunch of characters coexisting in this, uh, you know, Florida rundown motel uh, that's just right outside of Disney World. And, you know, like that tells you everything you need to know, which is that, you know, the uh, magical kingdom comes with a price, which is uh, the population that it truly subjugates on its uh just outside of its fence and how we as america if we think we live in the quote-unquote greatest country in the world we, we're not looking outside of our own backyard and that message is never really ham-fisted like obviously you can argue maybe that the ending is that but i think there's a little more going on to that ending than just a uh uh political comment i think that's more of a character moment too um but at the end of the day this is just a portrait of human beings trying to survive and yet it's never dour uh it's not a bleak movie despite the fact that there are some very hard situations that are being dealt with there are some of the funniest scenes i've seen in all of cinema last year happen in this movie when we get to watch these children just be children um you know them Eating the ice cream in the lobby as uh, Willem Defoe as the stern but incredibly gentle-hearted uh, land, not landlord, uh, I guess manager,
1: because he's not the owner. Uh, manager. It's a, it's amazing because he is more than once uh, referred to as a slumlord in this, and yes, that's yeah. might be pretty accurate. No, for
0: sure. And but his interplay with these children, it w- what I love is that on paper this sounds like a a cash grab of a relationship as far as like, Oh, let's take the very serious looking Willem Dafoe and make him interact with children. That'll show you the old grouch, but he never really plays it that hard as far as he, he genuinely likes these kids from, you know, from the time they get there to the time that some of them unfortunately have to leave. The
1: the other great aspect of this film is you have so much depth to Willem Dafoe's character um, the two moments that I would refer to are his interaction with his own child. Yes, uh, that we see a couple times throughout this film. That's Kit
0: with Landry Jones, right? Yes, yeah.
1: Who was also in Three Billboards? Yeah, I want to say. yeah. Huh, and I he was also I in um, the first um, X Men prequel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't remember which character he played. Yeah, yeah but but um, one of my favorite scenes is the um, catch the playing along with the ruse and then the ultimate dismissal of the child predator who is on the premises. Um, The idea that he goes through his entire ruse of him wanting a soda and forcing him to purchase a soda (laughs) and start drinking it from the soda machine then before pretty much being ready to kick his ass and send this old fuck off the premises and being like, if you ever come back, I'm going to kill you. Um, That whole scene, how it played out, First of all, it was horrifying when it started because this guy is just hanging around all these kids just like, you know, which one of these kids is going to kidnap? Yeah. Um, and, and for real, I mean, that's no. that was a legitimate fear of mine. And I, then you have the ending of the scene, which is just like an ultimate like, yeah, kill him. Fuck him. Get him, Willem.
0: Can, <laughs> can I say this is how I know this movie Like, had me 100% as far as there's just no leakage here. I'm just on its wavelength. Is that when that scene started and that old man is just staring at these children? Okay, if you're a normal person, and I'm not a normal person, but if you're a normal person like you, Alex, and you're watching this scene, your mind goes to exactly what's actually happening here, but because I was like way too on um, this movie's wavelength, and I truly was just like taking this in like the wonderment of a child because yeah. it's from the show. I was like, "Oh, that old man just is lonely and wants <laughs> like No, seriously. <laughs> no, obviously, oh I'm God. not like when willing to faux fo- Got him to get a soda. The I was like, "Why was- is he being mean to him or whatever?"
2: But <laughs> the just movie probably- was so disarming that it, yeah. it, it 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 disabused you of your skepticism. But
0: the split second first impression. I, it appealed to my good nature, yeah. sense of my heart, instead of the other. And then when it all came crashing down, and that's what this movie does. It mm-hmm. it, it sets up how these characters are so likable, except for the pedophile, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> humanistic that you you just get so crushed when, unfortunately, life has other plans for them. And I I could go on and on, but I won't. But I will say there's. This is one of the strongest acting ensembles I think in in film From because basic, it's not that basic large unknown too yeah. but cuz everybody holds their own in a movie in which Willem Dafoe is maybe giving my favorite performance he's ever given like like that that's just such a huge feat in and of itself mm-hmm. um and yeah uh, Brooklyn Prince is as I think maybe 7 years old or but around there um I usually hate child actors, even in movies I like, even in child actors I like. I still have like this innate sense of distrust of, like, who are you trying to fool, child? Like, like I don't know what it is, but she is better than most of the adults I've seen in, in the last year. So um, the Florida Project, is, to me, is astounding. The movie.
1: wide range of emotions that she inhabits throughout the entire film in different contexts, too, is just, is just yeah. so great. And the girl who plays her mother, too, also is definitely not an actress and may yeah. never be seen from again, like Barkhart Abdi. Yep. But at the same time, I thought she gave another really strong performance. Agreed.
0: And that's a character where if someone walked out of this movie and said that they hated her, I would understand. Even if I disagree, like it's hard to deny the reality of situation. And yet she played it so well that I still think that she deserves more scrutiny than just hatred and um, deserves a a reappraisal for anybody who would have a knee-jerk reaction of that such because of how well she plays the desperation in her character's
1: plight. So I will say this uh, and I have not seen Tangerine and I plan to at some point but I haven't. Um, I knew early on in this film that Sean Baker was a director that I was going to like because This film dedicated an entire scene, pretty much of a 30-second scene, watching people just walk across (laughs) the screen. I remember you laughed so hard. at Belly laughs from me. Because this film gave 30 seconds to just a random person in a motorized wheelchair driving across a parking lot and hitting a speed bump and having trouble getting over it. And I just thought it was fantastic. So out of place for this film, but also so fabulous. I think it's
0: right in place. I think part of what this film is is capturing how people can become ornaments in scenery and how we don't think of them as people because they seem to fit in the area that they live in. And so therefore, they're just an extension of that economic reality and whatnot and, and not human beings. And I think that was another comedic, uh, uh, shall we say, part of that. But yeah, from those shots to the shots of the passing stores, I mean, how much does this movie tell you by just the storefronts that it shoots and shows on screen, from the gun store next door to the fast food restaurant? And I, I'm not saying neither original uh, signifiers or anything like that, but when that's thrown in while watching a six-year-old go through its day-to-day life of no real routine, uh, it's both a disheartening and yet also just comically absurd uh, thing to see. So.
1: Another interesting aspect of this film, and I'll try to dance around it a little bit, because it's not really a spoiler, but um, the idea of this film getting into the storyline of children becoming criminals when they're still children is very interesting. Yeah. Because the idea of of one of the kids who's just playing and having fun um on purpose, but not on purpose burning down an entire uh, apartment complex. Yep. Um <laughs> And Uh, everything about that, though, is like one of those things. But they're looking for an arsonist after that happens. Which is why they'll never find who actually did it. But at the same time, um, the mother knows who did it, and now she's going to not let her kid forget that, oh, you burned down this building. But at the same time in a very poor neighborhood to me watching that scene. It's just kids being kids and whatever. And it just turned into a huge building burning down, but you know, whatever.
0: And of course, what we know about the ending, which I'm not going to spoil, but that ends up being the start of the end, you know, Mm. uh, as far as if that hadn't have happened, then certain things wouldn't have happened, you know, later on. And so, yeah, no, I'm with you there in the sense that it kind of unquestionably mucks up the line of like, where does a parent's intent enter or doesn't enter a child's actions, so to speak? Like, should they be responsible for a child who, even if you're under parental care, is still an autonomous being, you know, and still can make their own decisions, even if they don't have the consciousness to truly reconcile with their actions? So, it's a yeah, very interesting film. I agree. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the Florida Project, my yep. number three
1: yeah yeah, three so yeah. moving on to number two getting close to the top here uh number two is a film that i was anticipating probably more than anything going into this year other than maybe alien covenant which was a huge disappointment for me <laughs> um but this film was near the top of my list i was very nervous that it was not going to be good but it ended up being absolutely fabulous uh in so many ways and that was DC's Wonder Woman.
2: Hey,
1: <laughs> believe it or not, I actually really like that. Little- it's a right? good. <laughs> it is. It's a good. It's, it's a good- easy to it good- good- make fun of, but it's also good. It's easy to make fun of because it's good. Yeah, it's like it's
0: me. Yeah, I'm easy to make fun of, but I'm also like one of the greatest people ever. Yeah,
1: right. I I wanted to, and then ended up absolutely loving this film. Um, The idea that there isn't going to be a female superhero uh, was just completely disregarded in this film. Uh, Gal Gadot and the rest of the main characters, for the most part, other than Chris Pine, uh, are almost all females in, in this film. Um and even the main antagonist isn't really revealed until the very end, so there's not like this long drawn out storyline. That's it's true. That's kind of a kind of saving grace of that villain,
0: mm-hmm. which like even if I have complaints about, at least the movie didn't drag on some kind of bland
1: storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I had so many doubts about Gal Gadot just playing Wonder Woman. Mostly because of my preconceived notions about Wonder Woman, which maybe says something bad about me. Yeah, the the breasts, you know, whatever. Um, But at the same time, she delivered an absolutely fantastic performance. And and I feel like the best part of all of it, even though I think this film is absolutely wonderful Mm -hmm. and I've enjoyed watching it both the times I've seen it. I can't wait to watch it again. I think it's a fabulous superhero movie. Um, But the idea of her and Patty Jenkins being the two women who started off this new chapter into female-led superhero-slash-big-box-office films um, is great, because I feel like they are both people who are equipped to do that, at least in my vantage point. And now... You know, the the interesting thing about this is after the success, which unfortunately that's what it took, is not a film that had a female director and a female superhero, but a film with them that was successful. It took that, but you've seen a lot of... And uh, not
2: just successful, it had to be like... A thing. It, it had it had to be a thing in order for people to really stand up and pay attention. It's like, which just kind of plays into the whole notion that a woman has to be has to work twice as hard and do twice as well in order to be recognized at the base
1: level for like male counterparts. This is very much
2: true. Yeah,
1: but um, and part of it, it goes hand in hand with all of the Harvey Weinstein and all the other allegations yeah. that have come about. But we've had so many, um, so much more publicity for the other female-led superhero films after that because Wonder Woman was really quiet in terms of the press that got before it came out. Like the like couple weeks, it finally started to turn. I up. think Warner Brothers was nervous before it came out. I think like it, they, they
0: pretended like that was their plan all along. Once it was released and it got you know, Rey they didn't refused. do any promo. But really. they, I generally think they thought that they had a. You know, completely regretted this decision,
1: but mm-hmm. now shows how stupid the world is. Psh, you see, Captain Marvel. People starting to have more interest in that. Mm-hmm. You see a lot more interest in the Wasp in Ant Man, the Wasp, mm-hmm. Black Widow, which might even,
2: finally fucking get a film.
1: It sounds like that's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, they finally got someone to sit down to write it. Psh, yeah, but that's pretty much been sidelined every single time it's come up from Marvel, and now it's 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 on the doorstep and not going to be able to be sidelined
2: there's a reason why it was sidelined specifically um at least this is my theory uh, is as about the, black widow about black widow about yeah. about why that film did not but why it has not come into fruition as of yet now is because um before i think 2015 uh marvel comics and marvel studios existed within the same sort of like branch of each other and it was in 2015 that they sort of like split off like they're both autonomous from one another they can borrow sometimes but really they're connected by the umbrella of like walt disney like studios and stuff right and you're thinking like why the fuck did they do that like people were very 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 confused as to why they did that it's like oh well (laughs) because it turns out that the ceo of marvel comics is a like a guy who's like very super conservative. He's actually one of the people who actually signed off on the, who signed away the idea of having like female merchandise for uh, superheroes. Yeah. And he also happens to be a uh, familiar of Donald Trump.
1: So that's yeah. cool. That. If you, if, <laughs> yeah. if you want to look into Disney's history, bad times for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, Just, yeah. Um, not, not a lot of great people at the top. No, yeah. not really. So getting back really quickly yeah. to wonder woman though, um, Gal Gadot gives a wonderful performance. I actually really <laughs> like wonder. Ha ha. Huh. Huh. I actually really liked Chris Pine. Um, I yeah. think he actually does well as a supporting. I character. was surprised by him. Yeah. Um, I love the other supporting cla- cast, including when Bremer, um, I'm forgetting the name of the other guy who who's in the film. Um, so there's two of them actually who are in their like group in that amazing right. photo from I Batman vs Superman. Um, but I love the story. I love the origin to uh, the Mascara um, with Robin Wright. And then also, um, God, who, is, who's, who plays her mother? I have no idea. Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to find this out. Hold on. Sorry. Connie Nielsen. Oh, uh, yeah. She's great. Um, and just really every moment of this is like the ultimate superhero film and in a perfect time for there to be a superhero film that is led by a woman playing Wonder Woman uh that is going through this very interesting ordeal where she's trying to go up against Ares but at the same time then trying to help fighting in World War 1. I. I know you Nick loved the idea that this actually took place during World War 1 and not World War 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um the idea of her a fighting against the general during world war 1 and and fighting that battle but then fighting ares and and continuously going up against this idea of of men who are um trying to hold power not necessarily just over women but over humanity at the same time uh this this film and this this character has so many layers to my... And it's very interesting because every other piece of the DC Extended Universe has for the most part been shit. And Wonder Woman, A, was fabulous in her film and has been the best part of the other two films she's been in. Uh And really everyone else has been shit. So it's a, it's a very interesting spot that DC finally had a winner, but at the same time, They seem like they're in no hurry to catch up with the other people. Mm -hmm. But maybe this will be this extended universe's legacy is that it brought. If that's the only thing it accomplishes, it's something. accomplished
0: something. Yeah, no, I mean, it's worth
1: it. It's it's, it's a good So It's Um,
2: fascinating that that would come out of a.
1: Zack Snyder led. You know,
2: out of a a comic book um, live action continuity that is known for its. Like very grim, dark tone, and hyper masculinity,
1: yeah, but this the very interesting part of that is that's true in almost every other d c film, with the exception of maybe the Justice League film now,, yeah. but the Wonder Woman film has a very positive attitude pretty much from start to finish, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah it's
0: so yeah. boiled by uh Diana's i wouldn't say naivety but purity mm-hmm. uh that it's fascinating that such a Kent Paul superhero film is this like you said positive and just this uplifting. Um, it's it's very weird because it just doesn't happen, so it's very
1: refreshing. And um, the final moment of the the big battle between her and uh, Ares, played by David Thulis, which is yep. a very interesting performance. Yeah, uh, whether you like it or not, or are down the middle on it, which I'm kind of split on it. But I, I enjoy the kind of ending of that entire conflict as you see Diana and the, the moment of her shimmering with the lightning around her. Pretty much just disregarding Ares and just turning him into a crater. Uh, boy, that was quite a moment. So, yep, number two on my list was DC's Wonder Woman.
2: Okay. So for my number two, I choose um, you, Columbus.
0: Ah, that's I, also on my list that I did not get to see. Yeah,
2: I um, I watched it just recently, but you know, it's a 2017 film. Yeah. I really like architecture a lot. There's I, plenty I, there for you. Yeah, there's plenty there for me. I um, I even went to like a like a semi like architecture mm-hmm. event, like a Chicago Design Museum, like about a week ago. Yeah, that I really really enjoy just because i'm i'm a neophyte for architecture i really just enjoy like learning about the people who built these these structures and like what is the function like the psychology that goes into like making them and i feel like columbus had a lot of that to bear seeing as how the namesake town of columbus indiana is sort of a mecca of avant-garde like modernist architecture and it was it was not just that but it was also this really um disarming story of these two individuals that are just so happen to be brought into the crosshairs of each other's lives and at their own crossroads of how they relate to their family and to their future and where do they go in regards to the reconciliation of their past and like the charting right the course of of where they go from that so I really enjoyed that a lot. I, I enjoyed the color grading. I enjoyed uh, the sound direction. And, of course, I enjoyed the cinematography. It, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just fucking beautiful.
0: Like you, you could make a coffee table book of this. Oh and my, I don't mean that – It is. A, it's a fucking coffee table. Right. Yeah. But like I don't mean that as like a, a, you you know, Oh, it's a, a stationary. An it's a station. No,
2: no. It, it's like just – Like
0: it's like, no, make that coffee table yeah, book. Yeah, make that
2: fucking coffee table because it's really good. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: I, I have a funny story about this, which is that I have not watched it yet, mm-hmm. but it's streaming on Hulu right now, and so I, watch it. Yeah, I watched the first 20 minutes, and then I forgot that I had already canceled my Hulu subscription, so then when I went to finish it, I was like, oh, I, mean, I was too late to actually All get right. my credit card out, whatever. But ironically, in the first 20 minutes, there's a scene in which Olivia Cook's character mm-hmm. is talking to one of her friends at the library, mm-hmm. I and mean, they have a whole conversation where she's asking him yeah, yeah. where he went to school and, like, did he get his MLIS? Yeah. And he's like, oh, you should not get your MLIS because it's a really bad career path. And she's like, yeah, but I can't. It, it was so weird because as someone it who was has so yeah, yeah. an MLIS, like, I've seen that conversation happen, like, yeah. 20 times over in front of my own eyes, and I've been in that conversation. Mm-hmm. My own boss told me not to do this yeah. um, <laughs> uh, And then she hired me. Yeah. But, um, anyway, like I just thought that was hilariously authentic for being such a not meaningless, but just such a tangent in mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, but yeah, also really weird. Uh, I checked the IMDb cast list of this movie, and somebody I acted in a play with in high school is in this movie. Hey, Holy shit, yeah, that's yeah. weird. It's a bit part, from what I could tell from the right, whatever. Yeah. But like on screen, you know, doing action. Like I was like, hey, so, I was next to that person on stage. Like, so. Damn. Hey. Anyway, so yeah. yeah. But I'm very much that is. Also, right up there, uh, as far as movies I meant to see and did not get to see. Yeah. So Columbus. Columbus. My number two uh, mm. is uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, <laughs> directed by S. Craig Zahler. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense that in the year 2017, the year I got super into exploitation films uh, of all walks, that... One of my favorite movies of this year would be an honest-to-God exploitation film. Not a Robert Rodriguez pastiche, not a homage, not a throwback, but someone actually just using the coded language uh, and rhetoric and the bare-bones plot of a... uh, man in prison film who's played by Vince Vaughn who's played by Vince Vaughn I mean that in and of itself is like an exploit like you know somebody who's not having the best career will accept this role who's actually I think fantastic in it Um, but yeah I love this movie I of everything about it, I totally understand why anybody might not like it. It's uh, got its own pacing to it. Um, for example, it's he got doesn't... Don Johnson though. It's got Don Johnson. Yeah. It's got <laughs> uh, it's got Smalls from The Sandlot in it. <laughs> Very randomly, but it does. Um, yeah. it, it. I just think this movie is so well casted. From like you said, Don Johnson to Udo Kier um, to. Uh, Vince Vaughn to even Jennifer Carpenter, who plays yeah. uh, his girlfriend slash wife.
1: Uh, they have a very they have a couple of very good scenes together. They do,
0: and yeah. that scene I, I feel like shouldn't work as well as it does because I've never been like a Jennifer Carpenter fan, but she actually uh, does it just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but this movie is just—and this is not the right word—but it is for me. Which, but it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> um, there is an amazing shootout for the beginning of the movie, in my opinion. Not so much for being anything original, but it's just got, I think, perfect sound mixing and whatnot. Uh, but once he gets to prison, which spoilers, uh, it doesn't happen until like the hour mark. So it's this movie is going to test your patience if you're not on its wavelength. But once he does... I came
1: here for a brawl! Yeah.
0: Well, okay, that's another, honestly, that I mentioned in our episode, but that is another exploitation thing in which studios let these independent companies go out, make these movies, but then they would title them, so it would often be misleading in that way where it's only barely about that thing that they call it. And here, that brawl in Cell Block 99, he doesn't even get to Cell Block 99 until, like, the last 20 minutes. Although...
1: uh... It is the climax of the film. Mm -hmm. But when you're watching that first hour, you barely understand how this even fits. I'm trying to figure out if Vince Vaughn shaved his head or if he's wearing a cap. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, But yeah, once he gets to prison,
0: holy shit. The fight scene in this movie... uh, as someone who grew up on the Saw movies, I didn't think I was going to have the same kind of visceral reaction I did when I was 12 watching the Saw movies for the first time because I was not quite used to cinematic gore and violence, but I felt like I was 12 again to to some of those sound effects and some of those... Uh, Were you uh, actually cringed? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, there is something that happens to a jawline <gasps> in, in, in Cell Block 99 uh the the location, not just the movie, mm-hmm. that made me actually like almost gag because I just it's just so fast, so you're not quite expecting it. Yeah.
1: Um I like the idea too of of regular prison and then fuck me in the ass. <laughs> oh god, this is hell prison. <laughs> Literally John Johnson he gets uh, am I gonna spoil a whole lot,
0: but I'll say this. Um when he to get to Cell Block 99, the warden has to take you through a secret passage. This is like off the grid,
1: Which, in by the, the way, prison he, in and of he, itself. He was already at the first prison, yeah. and then he had to do something at the second prison just to get yeah. to this bad area. Uh, yeah, and and also too, without spoiling it. There is a motive behind why he is trying to get there. He's not just a bad guy. He yep. does have a reason why he's doing this. Agreed.
0: And um, and I feel like this movie came at the right time because for all the wrong reasons. I mean, you're ostensibly, possibly, watching a movie about a reformed Nazi. Um, it, it's never really stated out right, but the tattoos and his... Debater make you think that the person who wears his skin is not the same person that he is, yeah. and that's an uncomfortable feeling because should we even like celebrate a movie like that? No matter mm-hmm. how good it is or how good it isn't. Well, oh, there were good people on both sides. So. Mm. That's true. I'm just following our president's lead. <laughs> uh... No, but um, that's what I love about this movie, and there's a fantastic scene between Vince Vaughn and. always forget his name but he's a very prolific television director he directs a lot of television but he was also a side character in the wire but he plays the detective who uh interrogates vince fawn's character where he says like oh that is
1: the best scene of this film
0: i agree it's a fantastic scene and some of it on paper is extremely cliche ridden like how he says like you know you're sitting on the other end of the table, but I know if you made a few different choices, you could be sitting on this side. But <laughs> considering that this movie is all about choices we make due to external pressure, like, it, it all kind of wrapped up nicely. And their whole uh, banter where he's like, I bet you're the kind of guy who's got a, uh, an American flag hanging on your front porch. And he's like, I got two And you know, like how this movie is both stepping in its own stereotypes, but also... Unabashedly saying that no character is beholden to them too, mm-hmm. um, it was just uh, just such a such a welcome surprise. I just did not expect to watch. That was from this. by
1: far the best scene of the film for me. And yeah. the actor's name uh, is Clark Johnson. Clark Johnson. Yes,
0: he directed a lot of episodes of The Shield and The Wire, um, and he's a fantastic actor when he shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, the fights in this movie are amazing. Uh, every bit character from the one guy from A Serious Man showing up as the... um as the check-in at the prison who takes your possessions and belongings and the way he makes uh, Vince Vaughn follow his directions exactly, but not in, like, a mean way. he uh, Like, in a very indifferent, like, okay, you failed, so go back to the end of a line.
1: No, to not, me... Not, not mean, but... I was
0: gonna say, this This is a guy... He's not, like, prison guards, like, beating the shit out of no, him. No,
1: but it's a guy who... Gives the same line to a hundred people every yeah. day, so he's gotta give some enjoyment to himself. Oh, for sure.
0: <laughs> and and that's his way of doing it too, like the random conversations of um the two prison guards comparing uh I think I can't remember. Were they, were they comparing the sizes of uh, some inmates of their dicks or something? I don't know. But every little bit part of this movie adds up to just a uh a hilarious and yet really brutal whole. Um, and for my I, money, that second hour in this, because it's a two-hour movie, is
1: just one of the strongest uh, just start to finish I've seen in anything. I will say, too, it's not a mark against this film necessarily, but I thought this film had very peculiar pacing, which I think leads to a very interesting finale because it almost feels like it shouldn't be happening when it is. Yeah. Um, And I actually thought that was a good part of this film. I agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah, The very thing that could turn people off from this movie are, in my opinion, the movie's best assets. So it's not for everyone, but man, if it even sounds like something you might vaguely like, you should try it because I guarantee you whether you like it or dislike it, something in it will make you cringe or react in a way that a lot of movies just sit there. This movie is uh hell bent on making sure that you are having a physical reaction.
2: At and, least it moves you. Yeah.
0: yeah. And and I absolutely loved it. And I will say I also absolutely loved the ending, which I'm not spoiling, but um that's a movie that basically ends at the exact moment it needs to. Uh absolutely. without going further than it needs to.
1: And um also too, um I didn't speak of this on the uh on the episode, but I maybe I did. I can't remember. Um the scene when he and it's the main action sequence that's about halfway through when he goes to prison right before that where he gets caught yeah. uh, which is out in itself a very interesting scene but there are so many similarities to the scene in Carlito's way uh with mm. Al Pacino and um Sean Penn when they're going to break the guy out of prison yep. um and maybe a big part of it is just being on that boardwalk and with the boats, I can see but that. it just looks so similar, um, yeah. and it's it's just fascinating.
0: Yeah. So I agree.
1: So. I'm, glad, I'm glad you're a fan of it, Nick.
0: Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, number two, brawl and Cell Block 99. <laughs> I was about to mix up the words.
1: There. That's, yeah, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> on to number one. So these are uh, these are everybody's favorite films of the year. Transformers. <laughs> Get that shit out of here. There was a Transformers film this year. Yeah, of course the there was. Knights really of worked... the Templar
2: or whatever. <laughs> oh, this is the best news. What was it? This is the best news after <laughs> what's the best news? the best news is that, okay, so here's some bad news. There's a Bumblebee movie coming out later this year, I right? That. Okay. okay. But the best news is that they've pretty much committed to just nuking the entire Transformers cinematic universe. Good. And well, why
0: are they doing a Bumblebee movie then? Mm-hmm.
2: It, it, it was after, already
1: post Bumblebee.
2: It was after after Bumblebee. Okay. They made this decision where they're just like, "Yeah, we need to just scrap Stop. this entire shit." Yeah.
1: Okay. Because yeah. Mark Wahlberg asked for more money. So. Yeah. I think this is the Bumblebee. <laughs> I like how your eyes just twitched when you said that. I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's very interesting that most people were like, "Oh, the first one's okay," and after that, every single one has been like.
0: Fuck this. I'm not saying like if I were to watch the first one that I would hate it because I do remember it being like okay.
1: I remember it was an event.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was it was like something akin to For what I was trying to do, it was competent.
0: But talk about like just destroying a past entry's goodwill. Like I can't imagine Mm -hmm. that I can ever watch the first movie again in the same way because of the shitty sequels.
1: I feel like if you put Dark of the Moon (laughs) <laughs> or even the second one next to the first one, you'd be like, "Uh oh."
0: No, I mean, I I know that there, yeah. there's a disparity there. <laughs> but if I'm just sitting down to watch the first one, it has just been tainted by the utter. This rusty one also had shit. Josh
1: Duhamel. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Damn mm. it. Well, it also has the first one also, but I believe has the, uh, one, um, one. I can't one. Yeah, oh? it has the Decep- one Decepticon peeing on John Turturro. Yeah, so no, but that was just funny. <laughs> oh, that's the first
2: movie, yeah. <laughs> that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's not completely theirs. So, okay, so <sighs> on to our actual number ones mm-hmm. for the year 2017.
0: Oh, oh, Sorry, I thought that was. Okay. Shut <laughs> up. Uh,
1: for me, I it was a little bit wrestling between my number one and, and Wonder Woman, but. I ended up just deciding that this is for sure my number one of the year, and it's Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Okay, yeah. Um, I have always loved the Star Wars series. It, it's it's been a big part of my film diet since I was, uh, you know, ten years old. All right. Uh, you know, when I was around that age is when the re-release of the originals came to theaters. I went with my dad to see uh, a New Hope and Empire Strikes Back in the theater and wanted to see Return of the Jedi so much that I didn't want to wait for the theater, so I went out and bought the VHS of it to watch right after. I mean, so I love Star Wars. I have a spot in my heart for the terrible prequels. Um, I think everybody does. eh. Most doctors call
0: that a tumor. Yeah, well, (laughs) they might not be (laughs) wrong. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but this... This series that Disney has done, and, and for all the things that you can say against uh, what Disney is doing with Star Wars, which they are just cashing in like no one's business on it. Um, these two films, and I'm not going to include Rogue One, even though I enjoy it. It's completely separate for me. Uh, that Han Solo thing, we'll see about that. Um, that trailer didn't really do it for me. It actually made me very concerned for the film. Yeah. But, um force awakens and last Jedi have been very quality films done by Disney who clearly knows that they want to put the right people in charge of their main films. Um, and this movie just did everything I could possibly want a star Wars film in this era to do. Uh, this created new conflict, this solved current conflict, this had stakes this killed off characters this created new things within the star wars universe that i never even thought of but when i saw beginning to happen i was like oh my god i hope they do this and then they do do it and it just (laughs) do (laughs) do yeah i thought the (laughs) same thing thanks guys really killing it here thank you um there was just so many moments of the last jedi Uh, that made me happy to be sitting in the cinema watching this film happen. And I went to see it three times, and I liked it the same every single time. I I thought this was the most perfect Star Wars film uh, that could happen probably in this era. And not to say that I don't think that other Star Wars films will be good, but for me, this is the pinnacle of the post- George Lucas, 1970s, 80s, Star Wars we're going to get. Like this is this is what other films have to aspire to be uh as we create these very just dripping set designs and uh stories and just movements through this Star Wars universe while at the same time. Uh, having interesting revelations for all of your old and new characters um, this film just accomplished everything that I think it set out to do and it, it made made some very interesting decisions which you know nerdy people including myself were like ooh Luke Skywalker can do that but at the same time um, I loved pretty much every single minute of it uh, and this film, for me, has one of the greatest scenes in film history. When he of... drinks the milk. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I love when he drinks the milk. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> <laughs> double fisted it. Yeah. Oh God. Um, for me, because ter- I'm not going to say yeah, uh, all for for all time. But for me, um, in my film viewing that I've had in my lifetime. Um, The throne room scene was one of the pinnacles of the Star Wars franchise, not only because it was such a well-done scene, but because it just completely put an about face on what the Star Wars series has previously done, and it's so important for what the future of the series holds. So I've got so many things feels on this on this film because i just thought it was such a great uh moment for this franchise and and for disney um and for people who are fans of star wars which we we've talked about it a little bit on the episode and me and you talked about it with kenny i think on our cell block 99 episode yeah yeah, yeah. which episode it was it was uh where we commented on all of the the internet's thoughts on on this film yeah but uh it's I thought that everybody was going to love this, and clearly some people uh, chose to to go a different way. (laughs) They chose to go a different way. Yeah. But um, this was just an absolutely wonderful film uh, that pretty much checked all the boxes of what I ever wanted a a new Star Wars film to be. So, yep, number one for me is The Last Jedi, uh, the newest entry into the Star Wars series.
2: Okay. Number one... Should be no surprise. It's Get Out.
0: Yay, you chose the black movie.
2: Yes, I did. Yes, I very much did That's because it movie. is an unapologetically black movie. <laughs> this is a movie that could not – Um, I love this movie for a lot of reasons, but mostly because its core premise, um, its writing, is derived from a lived experience. It is a kind of film that could not have been – It. I, I honestly do not believe that this film could have been written by a white person. It could not have been directed by a white person. It had to be directed by, if not a black person, then somebody who is a person of color because there's so many like parallels that are, are caked inside of this that hue to actual lived experiences that I think that every single minority has actually had to go through. Whether it is being pulled over by the police or having to navigate the socially awkward situations of people sometimes uh, performing their allyship, yes, um, it's like black is in. I was like, oh, that's that's wonderful. I need to go to the snack table
0: now. Allison uh, Williams talking to the cop, yeah, is one of the most. Cringiest scenes I've seen because, especially on a first time viewing, right. you're almost sympathetic because right. you don't quite know everything about Rose's character. Look, oh, she seems like, oh, that. But bitch. even before you get a reveal, it's still an uncomfortable display mm-hmm. of, like, like, not just white privilege.
2: Here, but let me like, use my privilege to shield you.
0: Yeah, and like. Oh, but don't <laughs> worry. You don't need to thank me. Like it, it's so unquestion uh, uncomfortably. Uh, I, I don't know. Like Humble said, bragging. Yeah, yeah, performative and whatnot. Yeah. But only, uh, like you said, uh, I think only an African American director could have written. Because if a white person wrote that, it would have got a little.
2: It, it would have gone a little. It too- would have really hewed towards like playing up this character, and how good this yeah. character you, is. It would I'm have been like, like mm. Sander Bullock. Yeah.
0: The blind side. That boy's changing me.
2: Oh anyway, Lord. Oh, well,
1: just. A white person wouldn't have wrote this film. But yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a, it it so.
2: wouldn't happen. I I think that it was. This is perfect for Jordan Peele because I've in in the months since this film has come out, I've actually like steadily gone back and like watched episodes of key, key and peel like watch, a lot
0: of horror watch
2: the yeah, watch clips that he's done and i was like wow he really fucking likes horror and i can see where the parallels between horror and comedy like come out and they that comes to bear in this film and it's just like this was always just gonna happen he was always gonna do a horror film and i think that horror is a perfect venue for him really
0: I was just going to say you're absolutely right in the sense that I feel like watching Get Out is like a usual suspect dropping the mug moment when you realize just how many horror sketches were on Key and Peele mm-hmm. because it is by and large a comedy, sh- you know, sketch show. And right. like that. But, but it's um, also
2: shock humor and shock yeah. also comes out of horror too. And
0: I know one of your favorite sketches is also one of my favorite, which is the,
2: um, the dancing. Yes,
0: you know, I the, fucking the, love The, the filming of the jet, <laughs> whatever exercise Richard Simmons-like commercial. Yeah.
2: In which, it was the Jazzercise yeah. uh, competition that they're they're doing, which, which is an actual thing that happened. Yeah, yeah, which
0: in which Keegan's character has to basically keep his composure, yeah. and continue dancing while he learns about the most brutal yeah. uh, details of his the killing of his wife. Yeah, the no, not the killing of them, what but but, it, but
2: they were they were put into um, a coma after like getting rammed on on uh, on yeah. on the freeway and. What's even better about that is like it contributes. It's not nothing inherent to um, that skit itself, which is already funny on its own. But for some goddamn reason, whenever like you have the the the, the actual title cards up there, I just imagined like David Lynch's voice reading them. I was like, <laughs> "Keep dancing!" I was like. <laughs> Your, your wife got hit by a car <laughs> it's like it's do you, you, you have any enemies <laughs> that's so
0: <laughs> scary because you're not that far off from what I've heard about how he directs like Mulholland Drive Yeah, he's like ladies you gotta keep going we're running out of time or whatever yeah. Um. but oh my god every time it would flash the so Jordan Peele like smiling and, and he's smiling at him anyway then,
2: not only that he chokes him and then like he's being <laughs> held restrained and the guy is on his on his back just still jazzer sizing and laughing because now you know that, that Mulholland the did it yeah.
0: it seemed like a tangent but it's truly like I said it, yeah. was, it was like always there and
1: I'm like you said I'm glad he finally got to do it mm-hmm. uh, Re- really quickly I was going to mention uh, I really liked Get Out and I've been meaning to watch it again and I didn't catch it before uh, recording our episode here tonight mm. but oh man um, you talk about the, the idea of the involvement with the police early on. Yeah. How about the very ending of, of the film when you have her oh feeling God. so comfortable that the police has arrived, and yeah. then, oh, no, it's a black policeman. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: uh, it's, yeah.
1: yeah. It's TSA. <laughs> yeah, well...
0: But, but, yeah, no, I get it. As far as, like, those lights are an icon in and of itself to Mm -hmm. the point where you get this white false sense of security, Mm -hmm. which is in and of itself a horrific moment.
1: Yeah. But, but then you have the complete turn on its head of that. I feel like
0: to truly do get out justice, me and Alex should just keep talking about get out and not listen to what you have to say. Yeah.
2: Now I'm in the sunken place. (laughs) That's great. Continue. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then that's another thing. The, the, the moment when um, Chris breaks free and like enacts his revenge is just so cathartic. I, I absolutely love that. Um, when he confronts the mother and she reaches for the teacup and like he just knocks it over, I I, I was in the theater and I was like, "Yeah, fuck your teacup!" <laughs> I was like I was so happy. Yeah. Um, the scene where uh, his girlfriend Rose. Um, is called by his best friend, and his best friend is trying to, like, ply her into in, into confessing. And she just basically sets him up and is like, I know you wanted to sleep with me. And so I was like, no, I didn't want to fuck you. He's like, fuck you. It's like, like no. It's like, damn, she's a genius. It's like, She's not a genius. You're just a fucking idiot. Oh, my God. Her
0: scene on the bed, though, is one of my favorites. With the
2: milk and the... the milk. Yeah,
0: the, the dry cereal, but the milk... Uh, which I've been guilty of. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh shit!
2: And she puts up all the pictures again yeah, in the background, but
0: listening to the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Like, I I know it's like on on the one hand, it it shouldn't be as funny as it is, hmm. but it's so goddamn funny that that is like the whitest thing that Jordan Peele could think of as far as in that image. And yeah. um, one thing I'll say as a testament to Jordan Peele is that I, as someone who buys a lot of movies, yeah. obviously I have access to a lot of commentaries. Get Out and the Jordan Peele commentary is the only commentary I listened to last year. Oh, really? uh, which just shows how much I loved Jordan Peele mm-hmm. and what he was doing. Behind, and I'm all the better of a cinephile... For have not just for my appreciation of Get Out, but he's just got so much uh, insight. Yeah, insight and earnestness, which I think is like equally important as mm. far as just not just loving what you're doing, but just w- hoping that someone will take away an ounce of what you put into it. Uh, and it was so refreshing.
2: Get Out is definitely a a movie of a moment. Like it, it's, I say this because. It is is especially, it feels especially poignant to this moment in history, but I feel like regardless of who won the presidential election in November, like, it would still be relevant. It would still, it would still be... Not regardless, because
0: of. I mean, if this entire movie boils down to white people co-opting black bodies, like, the, I, I know it's not the exact like – I'm not right, talking right. like a one-to-one analogy yeah, yeah. here. But the idea that we put up a black president yeah. but then replaced him yeah. with the white answer. yeah, Like, I, you know, this this is everything – this movie is a response to everything before it. Right. And everything after it is a response to this movie and everything that's of
2: its own. Nothing, nothing changed. It's like it was really just common – it, it was – Commentating on a continuum of of, of behavior it, rather than just like a moment in itself. It's even yeah.
1: commented on though in one of the better jokes in this film, which yeah. is the I would have voted for Obama. Yeah it's, like yeah, it's like it's it's this this sort of. I
0: would have listened to the commentary for a second time, right? But I didn't have
1: time.
2: Yeah, it's like
1: also too. Um, boy, what a great scene that is when he is strapped into the chair and forced to watch that old video from like twenty five years ago. Yeah. Oh man, that is. That is legitimately horrifying. That is
2: really, really fucking horrifying. Uh, the fact it, that he has to pick cotton from yeah. the actual like chair in order to put in his ear so that to he can blind out the white. Yeah, I'm just, just like, oh my god. The fact that
0: he kills uh, one of the family with a buck. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the deer's head. I mean, it. All of this is so wonderfully embedded that none of this makes the movie like it's not like you don't enjoy this movie as just being a piece of entertainment Mm. but man there's so much here that is worth discussing that makes us one of the all times I think
2: there's so (laughs) many iconic moments in this film I am I'm very much looking forward to where Jordan Peele goes from here because I know that he has a very um, he has a very promising career ahead of him and if he is able to bring to bear any of any any of the savviness that he brought to this in any capacity with his next project whether it's horror or not i am totally there
1: for it no. i feel like his next project should be something that's completely separated from from think, what this does just to just to show that and maybe not necessarily take a break but move away from that and show his talent in another light and then maybe come back to do something similar
2: after that. He's yeah. been attached as the shepherd for um, the revival of the Twilight Zone which I, I know Nick is a huge fan of I was going to say like, I have to
0: admit not that like I'm being selfish here no, I know. because yeah. like now that I know that, yeah, that's the the only thing I want to see right now right. is him doing that. Because I genuinely think Get Out would not necessarily be an episode of The Twilight Zone, but the uh, subliminal coding of a simple horror premise that he did so well in that mm-hmm. would just totally uh, knock Twilight Zone on his ass. And he could totally do that if he wants to, and it seems like he does. Yeah. So I, I'm very on board for when,
2: that. I, when I think of Twilight Zone, I think of... I think of science fiction, obviously, but I think of more of this balancing act between drama and horror. Yeah. And when I see Jordan Peele entering into that equation, I think what he could bring to that is humor, which is just something I'm not used to. I do not associate with Twilight Zone. Cause maybe I've seen. That's because.
0: The- yeah. The funny episodes of The Twilight Zone are awful. Oh. <laughs> like, there are actual comedy episodes, and I would say, like, 90% of them are just the worst episodes. But, and I say that as, like, the best episodes of The Twilight Zone are literally some of the best episodes of television ever made. yeah, And also the worst episodes of The Twilight Zone, which are usually the more comedic ones, are also some of the worst <laughs> episodes of television ever made. So it
2: just covers the entire
1: game. Yeah,
0: so if he could bring his humor, that would just be that trifecta of what The
1: Twilight Zone has always
0: needed. Yeah.
1: Another interesting part, though, of yep. The Twilight Zone is that we have this awesome white man telling us these stories yeah. pretty much on i would episodes. i would
0: pay to see jordan peele stand in front of the screen in, hey man, in, yeah. in, in front of each you episode. want to see some shit yeah <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no, seriously like doing his like because his uh talent in key and key Peele peel shows that he can inhabit any so just to mm-hmm. see him in front and be like yeah listen folks so, yeah yeah i know it's just it would be great
2: very cool um but that is my number one film of last year get out good okay. stuff
0: uh, so, my number one... Something f- not so chill happened. <laughs> yeah, I just gotta preface this. Oh, shit, okay. My number one film, apparently the uh, internet has decided, is no longer a good movie. Or never was. It's been cancelled. Uh, yes.
2: It is, it is in their parlance it's been cancelled. But I would
0: be lying if I somehow swapped it out, so I'm just gonna say it, but my favorite movie is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri.
2: okay. When did you know that you were a racist?
0: So, I was five years old, and I saw a black man in the park.
2: And I was like, oh, I don't like any of this.
0: No, but my brother called a black man when he was like 10, Michael Jordan, in the supermarket. And my mom had to have that conversation that not all black people are the same person. Oh, my lord. Anyway.
3: Oh, my lord. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I acknowledge... (laughs)
2: It's true <laughs> story. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, white people really be wiling out. I know, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> High five. Get away from okay. me. That's not Michael Jordan. He's just a poor homeless person. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
2: oh, Jesus. He's
0: wearing a jersey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Wow. Okay. Um, Ugh. Three billboards. I know it's uncouth uh, to like this movie, and I know I'm a white male, so. Maybe I'm just doomed to fail for all eternity. But what I look for when I watch a movie that I love is a sense of empathy. I've said that a million times on this uh, podcast, and I'll say it a million more times if we keep doing this. And however way, however you slice it, that is what this movie is trying to do. If it fails for you, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. like I totally understand it. Yeah. But I believe... The whole point of empathy is not to, shall we say, experience it on a moral compass.
3: Hmm.
0: Otherwise, that's not empathy; that's sympathy. So, you know, and so, yes, there is. Uh, there are characters here that exhibit problematic traits. Like, for example, if we just bring up the main one, Sam Rockwell's character, mm-hmm. and his art. Now, this is just me, but. I watched this movie and I feel bad for him as a human being separate from my feelings of him as it, a bad person. it doesn't like mean that two... I, co-
2: it doesn't mean I co-sign his 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 racism or his his anger issues as like I just see a very broken just, person just a, a deeply fucked up person that like I probably if he was a real person I would not fuck with that guy at all but I, at the same time I was just like damn that guy's i get his shit together eventually i
0: will say maybe this is completely hypocritical yeah but i am a very different uh judger so to speak Mm -hmm. uh when it comes to fictional characters versus real people well yeah and i know like everybody is but i mean it like in the sense that like it's such a huge gap that like i want cinema to challenge me to like a quote unquote a pedophile or a racist or mm. whatever I think is morally wrong just so that I can try to understand all walks of life whereas you put one of them in front of me and I will not even give them the time of the day and I think that they should right. I, maybe I believe in the death penalty I don't know right. but right. in general like I get that heated the same way I do about the fictional version in the opposite direction mm. here's the thing though I still am not convinced by anybody's argument that this movie endorses anybody's point of view Not just Sam Rockwell's, but everybody who uh, walks through this film. I think, personally, this is a movie about how people have a shared sense of trauma and uh, human guilt just by walking around and how they co-opt institutionalized beliefs for their own personal gain. Uh, Sam Rockwell's character is a police officer, and... I genuinely think that he, and I know this is going to be controversial, but that he is less a racist human being, not not a racist human being, mm-hmm. but he is less a racist human being and more a v- product of an institution that not only allows racism but basically puts it secretly in uh, in invisible ink on the job application and like that is
2: the small town form of racism the yeah. the the the, the... Hiding in plain sight kind of racism. If you
0: give a racist racism. a badge, yeah. Yeah. like that should be the children's book we should all read. If
2: you give racism a badge.
0: Seriously, <laughs> you know that's what you're going to get. Now, I personally think that he is not a changed person after he loses his job, mm. but he feels the weight of not having an entire patriarchal white system behind him cheering him on so his actions have a more... Crushing humanism to them. So, I, I don't know. That, that's just kind of also, a too. It's there.
1: very interesting that after he loses his job, we see the entirety of his relationship with his mother come to a head. Where yeah. previously, I mean, we see that before, but it really is showcased after he loses his job. Um, and yeah. I think we see a lot of similar things that we talked about with the Florida Project, where it's like, oh, how much is this your fault? So, True.
0: And here's the thing, Uh, I think every other character is, they may not be racist, some of them might be, but they're just as guilty as Rockwell's character. Francis McDormand essentially uses other people to somehow... uh, displace her own guilt over her daughter's death. Not because she played a role in it, but she unfortunately has to exist in the same world as it, which, you know, tragedy in and of itself can send you down a spiral, let alone, unfortunately, uh, the way the scene was set before the tragedy ensued, which I know a lot of people also had problems with that flashback scene and how the last thing she said to her was so on the nose. I don't give a fuck, like... Martin McDonough is a stage writer, and he's always going to be, even when he's making movies, so I don't take him as a cinema verite you know, dramatist. I take him as I'm going to see heavy analogies, blunt symbolism, and just dialogue that he put in because he knows it sounds good, not because he thinks that that's how people talk.
1: We- which Which has really if you've been paid attention uh been highlighted in his two previous films yeah. so
0: um and once again Woody Harrelson uses his cancer as somehow an scapegoat due to um, for his own professionalism and for his own uh, whitewashing of his own uh what do you call it uh burrow of what he allows his uh Police officers to get away with.
1: In addition, he also uh, uses his his cancer as his reasoning for why he commits suicide, which is um, something that kind of goes under the radar in this film, but is also pretty interesting. If we didn't have all the Sam Rockwell stuff to chew on, I agree. So here's the thing: before I like wrap it up, um, I
0: thought overall, if I'm not defending this movie but just talking about it, I thought it was funny. Uh, and maybe that makes me a bad person, but I thought it was hilarious. Uh, at certain times, I thought the things that people were saying were... Or the
2: things you're not allowed to say on a billboard. Yeah,
0: and um, that's why I go see Martin McDonough, because I want to see a person write into <laughs> existence things that I wish people would say in real life, you're but also... You're fucking <laughs> inanimate <officer. laughs> But also, I'm glad that they don't, you know? Yeah. And And um, at the end of the day, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What would you rather have this movie do? Okay, let's just say Martin McDonough is hell-bent on making three billboards, no matter what. Would you rather him insert black characters and write for him, write for them, Mm -hmm. the same way he writes for all of his white characters? Or would you rather the white characters pretend like black people don't exist at all? Because you can only have one... Mm. or the other if you're not happy with Three Billboards. Because Three Billboards acknowledges their existence but mostly lets the white people speak for them. And I'm totally acknowledging that. So I'm not saying that that is not problematic of itself. But as far as if you were to fix the situation, I want Jordan Peele (laughs) to make Get Out just as badly as I want him to make any movie, whether it stars a white person a black Mm. movie and whatnot. But also, I want Martin McDonald to write his vulgar, y- predominantly white-centric... Like I- I'm totally cognizant of the fact that it's not always going to align with the movement of today. And yes, it's evident that he wrote the script 10 years ago. He like, did? Yeah. Oh. It- it's pretty much like he didn't really change much. But like he wrote this 10 years ago, and it's always been sitting there, and he finally just made it. So I can understand why on the one hand it got made right now as far as the me too movement uh, and the and his slight jabs at black lives matter but on the other hand it does feel like a relic of a movie that should have it's already 10 years too late so to speak but i also feel like everybody's backlash to this movie is actually more indicative of the times that we're living in than the movie itself, which is we are now starting to hold pop culture because I'm sorry, but the same people who think that this movie is an abomination are probably the same people who, and this is totally fine, Mm -hmm. but love Marvel Cinematic Universe or love the same institutions that are making this entertainment that are not allowing black minority female voices to come center stage. So the idea that somehow Martin McDonough's inherited the world sins on his shoulder. I, it's just fucking bullshit. And this was a movie in which Peter Dinklage just wanted to hold a ladder, you know. Yeah. Like
1: so. Another thing about Three Billboards, and it's another film that I meant to watch again, and I, and I haven't since the first viewing. Um, but what what I love about this film, and I think this is a very funny film, and I and I wanted to like this even more than I did. Uh, and I, that's why I really, really see it again is because I think I will like this even more a second time. And and I enjoyed it the first time. Yep. And I, I'm pretty much on the same page as you, Nick, uh, about what the main, not, not even necessarily mainstream, but what the loud group uh, has, has made this film out to be. Um, but what I absolutely love about the way this film ends is that the protagonist and the main antagonist-ish pretty much end up at the same place at the end and that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that either was right or wrong but it means that everybody is subject to life and, and and circumstances changing the way that they approach their lives maybe Frances McDormand was a really nice person before this incident happened with her daughter maybe um, you know, uh, Sam Rockwell was a really nice person before we met him, and he had this really bad experience, and now he's become Jaden, whatever. But we only see this film in in the moments that we are given, and yet they end up in this really uncomfortable drive at the end, where they're pretty much on the same wavelength. At least that's that's yeah. my reading of it. But no, I
0: completely agree. Yeah. this movie basically says the one thing all human beings have in common is anger. And I'm sorry, but that's what I saw in yeah. 2017.
3: Yeah, like, that's true.
0: And I I I align with quote unquote you know liberals and right. and with Black Lives Matter and whatnot. Right. But you, you'd have to be delusional to
2: that anger was not not a a, a, a right. sort of accent a note that carried throughout the entire the entirety of this past year. Yeah,
0: and that's what we all have in common. And one more thing I'll say about Sam Rockwell, and I'll wrap it up, which is that. Um, the idea that he is redeemed is is still laughable to me because if you look at his actions I think he's redeemed. <laughs> well, people think yeah. he morally was redeemed like by the end of the movie you 're supposed to think he 's a good person no, but here 's the thing: he is literally <laughs> burned, and I do think there is a phoenix imagery in his coming out of the fire, which is not to say that he becomes a better person, but he does start to see himself, I think, in a different light mm-hmm. but he literally loses his badge, tries to get his job back through doing detective work, utterly fails because his lead is a dead end, goes home, basically tries to commit suicide, but only stops himself because...
2: He got called in order to go kill someone. Yes.
0: So how does anyone watch this and think he's redeemed? Like, just because a movie presents a person as being a human does not mean that that is automatically good. That Then you're making a judgment call on what... He, being a human means that you're fundamentally good. And in my opinion, that says more about the viewer than it does about the movie. So, uh, I think it's hilarious. I think there's great drama and I'm probably going to say even more controversial things in the next episode. When I talk about one
1: specific thing. Okay. Boom. Well, that's it. That's all of our, uh, top six favorite films Yay! of 2017. <laughs> yeah. And, um, stay tuned for part two where we'll be discussing, uh, some of the more detailed parts of of our favorite films, not necessarily just the six that we brought here, uh, but but other films. Uh, did anybody have any honorable mentions that that, that we didn't? Cherry quickly.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll just say my honorable mentions were
1: "It Comes at Night," which I mentioned,
0: mm-hmm. and um. Raw, which was the French horror film that I absolutely love, and that was literally number seven, so just outside. But Mm -hmm. anybody who digs horror, uh, even if cannibalism doesn't sound like your thing, it does it in a very, yes, gross light, but also, uh, I think, a palatable one. So, like, you can at least try it without barfing. Um, (laughs) The other honorable mentions are. A ghost story, which I thought was a fantastic feature by David Lowry, who's becoming one of my favorite directors of probably of all time. And Lots of pie in that one. There was a lot of pie, and you know what? I was okay with that. <laughs> and, the, and the last uh, honorable mention I'll say is Lady Macbeth, um, oh, and I forget who directed it, but that is uh, one of the best um, feminist slash not feminist at all movies. Like it is a movie so anchored to this particular woman's uh, story and arc that it just turns any sense of morality on its head by the end of it. And I thought it
1: was just a fucking delight. So yeah. Those are my honorable mentions. So I have three really quickly. Yeah. Uh, the first is Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. I saw my list to watch. Yeah. Uh, which is a, a very interesting connection because... It's the year of Wonder Woman, obviously, yeah. uh, but at the same time, this is the early story in a much different way. Uh, this is a film that tackles um, sexuality in a very, with open arms yep. way, uh, and it and it's pretty wonderful. Very non-judgmental. Yep. Uh, Split was also on my list. Hey. I love Split. I thought it was a f- great film, and uh, I was very happy that M. Night Shyamalan finally made a film that wasn't a complete train wreck. Um, and there were a lot of things I liked about it. And I'm I think it's probably gonna suck, but I'm looking forward to his combination between Unbreakable and Split. I am too, even if I didn't love Split. Yeah. yeah. Um and also too, uh it wasn't necessarily the best film of the year, but uh I really enjoyed Aaron Sorkins directorial debut with Molly's game. I thought uh Jessica Chastain put on another very strong performance. And even though this was a very uh, I I want to say simple film uh, for the most part. I thought it what it was doing. It did very well throughout, and uh, I just enjoyed it. So, yep. Tucson, do you have anything or no. not really? Nope. nope. Okay. Boom. Good. So, stay tuned uh, and catch up for our next uh, episode highlighting the uh, the more detailed things about 2017. Uh, and that's <laughs> in case you didn't get enough from this well, episode. Yeah. That's, um, on the next file. I'm filmed today.